Hey everybody, welcome back to A Higher Future. I'm UB Simignetti here at Interview IA, and I'm joined as always by Nicole Gravagna. Hello, Nicole. Hi, UB. Thanks for having me again. Always, always. It's a team effort. <laughs> so we are excited uh, to talk to Kelsey Whitmer today. She is the Senior Lead of Employee Experience at Oploans which is a cool, um, a cool role that we're gonna explore. Uh, but first of all, welcome, Kelsey, how are you? Thank you, hi, um, I'm doing well. I'm excited to be here, so thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, I think we wanna dive in first because the, this role of employee experience seems to be a fairly new vertical within HR, um, kind of much like I think DEI specific roles have been over the last few years. So what, I mean, let's talk about your role first. Like, tell us a little bit about what, what the role is, how you got into that role at Oploans and, and kind of go from there. Yeah, great question. Um, actually, I was reached out to by a recruiter at Oploans about this role via LinkedIn. And when I saw the role in the job description, I had no idea what it was talking about, right? Like I had never seen a role like this in HR before or on a people team before. It kind of resembled organizational development and culture work. But I, I remember I was on LinkedIn. I didn't have a ton of time to look at it. And I was like, I don't know what this means right now. I need to come back and revisit it. So um, I, I went into the interview process still not totally understanding the role, but I, I immediately fell in love with it the more I talked to people because it's so nuanced, it's so ambiguous, and it's really future focused. So if I, if I were to describe this role, I would describe it as, you know, think organizational development meets talent management meets talent development meets DEI meets HR business partner. <laughs> That's kind of a combination. Um, and it's so you're busy. Yeah, you're busy. yeah, very busy. <laughs> All of those things impact the employee experience, right? And and yeah. while we have people on the team that do that work, I collaborate with them and and help manage that work in a way that's holistic to the employee experience. Mm-hmm. Um, so so originally the the role originally when I was hired was more focused on revolutionizing the future of work. Um, which is like my favorite phrase. I think it sounds so cool and important, right? Um, But essentially what what they were hiring for was someone to come in and help transition the workforce to a remote, flexible, hybrid workforce. Because like many companies, Oploans was majority in office prior to the pandemic. Then the pandemic hits and we went to 100% work from home while we were in quarantine. And now as Illinois reaches, you know, getting closer to stage five, we're going to reopen our Chicago office. But the expectation is not that all employees go back a full five days a week, right? We're going to be flexible to employee needs, to that employee experience. But, But this is why a role like mine is kind of necessary because our culture has to shift with that kind of workforce shift too, right? We don't want people, you know, being forgotten to be dialed in because we we didn't use Zoom as much when we were in office. Or we don't want people feeling like I have to trade off experiencing our culture because I want to to have the flexibility to work from home. Um, So what I do is essentially help the company to create this culture that is experienced by all employees, 
no matter who you are, where you are, what you look like, where you come from, what team you're on, or if you're working from home or in the office. Um, so that's that's big picture my role. And, and we do this by really focusing our culture in three areas. And those three areas are um, inspiring leadership, meaningful work, and a supportive and equitable culture. And while those definitely are not the only things that impact employee experience or culture work, when we think about how we can impact employees the most, those are the three things that we really lean on. And they really lend themselves to a distributed workforce, right? Our, our culture isn't about what we, what we have for lunch that day or what the holiday party is like anymore. It's about how employees are experiencing these three elements. So it, it, it sounds like the initial... In- uh, reason for your role was the pandemic and changing to that um, remote and everywhere kind of a workforce. But it sounds also to me that employee experience would have a lot of influence on diversity, equity, and inclusion in your office and probably in other offices if now you know other people like yourself. how How is that playing out right now? Yeah, um, it's a lot easier actually to partner in that way than I was expecting, which is great. Um, But I sit on a team, I report up into our talent and DEI um, VP. Her name is Michelle Y. Best. She's amazing. Look her up on LinkedIn. I can't recommend her enough. So, So Michelle has this team. It's a really unique team. Again, I haven't seen anything structured like this before. Um, But she has a team that consists of talent and learning. So our talent development professionals that work on um, training, development, career pathing, high potential programming, that kind of thing. And then she also has DEI. So she has a DEI lead right now that works under her. And then then there's me, you know, (laughs) an employee experience. And, um, And so because we're all on the same team, if you think about those three areas, we all really impact the culture in major ways, um, but in, in different verticals. And so us all being on the same team has made collaboration really effective and easy. Um, so Jessica Newman, who is our DEI lead, she and I actually partner together on everything um, because how employees experience the workplace is more so about where they're coming from, where they're working, what their identity is, that's impacting the way they experience the workplace, right? And so we do things like analyze our pulse survey by filtering um, filtering results by ethnicity and or gender identity, right? Understanding how different groups of people experience life at Oplones is really important for both of our strategies and employee experience and DEI. Um, So she's been a really great accountability partner. uh, And one of my biggest concerns in this role and and the culture that we're working to build is making sure that there's equity no matter where you're working, right? It's it's an equitable experience, whether you're in the office or out of the office. Um, And Jessica is trying to make sure it's an equitable experience, no matter what you look like or what background you come from um, or what, how you identify. And so there's so much synchronicity there that we, we just work together on almost everything and we're, we're accountability partners for each other. Well, I, 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 one thing I wanted to quickly ask, sorry, Nicole, I just, I wanted to go back a second for, because, so because it's kind of a newish role, um, it seems to me like there isn't like, you know, a standard job description for this role, right? So it, it, it's kind of cool in a sense that each company who has a role like this 
is going to do it a little bit differently. Yes. And, and so um, I don't know. I, I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? Like pros and cons of, of that kind of role? Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head. You'd be the, the company and the culture really define this work. So I'm at, I actually started a networking group called the Employee Experience Consortium, um, and it's oh. filled with people that work in, you know, have employee experience type titles or work in talent management, but do more of the strategic cultural work. Um, we had our first meeting a couple weeks ago, and we all went around and kind of described what we do. And even though we might have similar titles, we all do something completely different. And I think that's really indicative of this nuanced role, right? Not not every company is the same size, has the same priorities, has the same mission and vision and values. Um, and this work is so driven by that. So I have to really understand what our company priorities are and where we want to go in the future in order to build out this strategy. And I think that's the same for anybody in a role like this. So of course the roles look different because all companies have different um, direction and journeys, right? So yeah, I think you're 100% correct. Wow, that's really cool. It's a really cool opportunity. Yeah. I wanted to highlight what you said you were doing with the DEI, I forget what the name of the, what the title was, but with the folks that are focused most on DEI is it sounded to me like you're really looking through some deep measurements of what's happening in real life, in real time, in, in your office. And so that you can see uh, what's happening by demographic. And a lot of companies have come to the realization now that it's powerful to do that, to see what's really happening and how that um, employee engagement and employee experience is happening by demographic, because it matters. I mean, that's how we're going to find out if it's an equitable experience. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and so I just wanted to highlight that you guys are doing that and, um, and that it, it's something that other companies I, I hope can take the lead on or follow your lead on and be brave about it because it, I think there's some shyness around doing that about splitting people mm -hmm. up by demographic. We, we were all taught not to do that. Um, and now we're starting to realize how important it is to recognize the truth of people's experiences are different. They just really mm -hmm. are. Yeah, and I think that's one of the things I love working about oploans, right? I don't think they're afraid to turn on that light switch and see what's going on. Um, and we have this really unique culture, um, even though we're growing and we're, you know, 500 plus employees, the way we work sometimes still feels really small in, in the best way, right? Like we want to do things organically. We're not afraid to know where we can be different or be doing something better, um, I think our leadership team is absolutely amazing at leading the way in, in that. And now we have this team of DEI professionals that um, are really dedicated to helping lead that path. So I, it's the first time, so I've only been here, tr full transparency, I've only been here for one Pulse survey so far. I'm only, you know, 100 plus days into my role. So we've only had one Pulse survey. It's the first time we've analyzed the data that way, but it's been extremely helpful in informing our strategies. Well, and I think what's really cool, like we've, we've always really believed that that DEI lens um, really needs to flow through everything. And it sounds like that's exactly the approach you're all taking, sort of this multidisciplinary team collaborative approach, 
focused through this DEI lens that touches everything, no matter what, you know, and I think mm-hmm. most companies are so siloed, right. And, and they don't even have, you know, I, I always think DEI should sort of be like compliance. Like it should be kind yeah. of this <laughs> third party, like outside yeah. perspective that kind of has purview over everything because, you know, marketing messaging and communication should go through a DEI lens sales, Mm-hmm. finance right all of it like it should all flow through that lens to ensure that inclusivity of of everything and so that's that's why it's really cool I love the structure and I think that in one aspect is is the future of work from a DEI perspective it is you know bringing those multidisciplinary collaborative groups of people together to kind of oversee that for the whole organization yeah. So one of the I mean, things that you said was that you're new in this role, but mm-hmm. in, in doing a little research on you, I, I also learned yeah. that you just finished your, your master's degree in, in 2020, and the degree is industrial and organizational psychology. Yes. And so we, we end up talking to people who've been in their careers for a very long time, people who are just starting in their careers. And, and so, you know, you're not just starting, but you have some fresh experience in going through the educational part of your career. Mm-hmm. And so I'm wondering now, because you have this, it, it's your job to think about the future. Uh, what are you going to see? What are you anticipating for the future of education for people getting into roles like the one that you have? And um, what would you change if you had your way? Yeah, this is, I was really excited about this question when I saw it, because to be frank, I actually have mixed emotions about IO psychology degrees, right? And and so just a quick clarifying point, industrial and organizational psychology is essentially like a master's degree in human resources, but more on the people side of it than, than the business side, right? So industrial is about systems and processes, organization is about the people. So it's about the psychology of people in the workplace. Um, it's a, it's an awesome degree, super interesting. I think very much, I learned so much from them. I went to Roosevelt university. It's an awesome program. I'm still connected with some of my professors today, which is amazing. Um, but the degree itself, I think if you ask anyone who's either been in the degree or is teaching this, the classes in the degree, the research is really disconnected from the application. Right. And so when you go into grad school, I think no matter what, no matter what program you're in, there's always an application route and a research-driven route. And I, I've always been more application-driven, right? I've worked throughout my degree. I've worked in, in HR since I graduated undergrad. I was never going to quit my job and do research and, <laughs> and you know, stay in the scholastic um, setting. That just wasn't my goal. But what I was hoping to get out of the degree is, is to use the research to bring back to apply to my experiences which I definitely was able to do, but it takes a lot of critical thinking, you know? And I think in psychology degrees in general, it's hard to apply research because they isolate constructs in a way that you typically don't isolate constructs, right? I can't remove everything in the workplace except for this one thing that's impacting motivation and see how that impacts you, right? That's just like not how it works. So in the degree, if you're a student going through the degree or if you've been through the degree, you know that, Um, you kind of, you have to sponge a lot of information and absorb a lot of information and kind of take out bits and pieces that you can apply in an in an applied setting, right. Or in in a job or when you're out working. Um, 
I think a lot of the research also gets published because they have really impressive statistics. Um, those statistics for people in the applied field are typically incredibly hard to understand and the constructs being measured aren't always, you know, what we want to learn about. So as far as the degree goes, I, I had great networking opportunities. I had really great foundational knowledge over cool things, right? Like occupational health and employee motivation and leadership development. Um, I was able to conduct some of my own research, which was great. But using the research out there isn't as helpful as I wanted it to be, right? So to answer your question, Nicole, about the future of this degree and, and what I would like to see for it or what I would hope to see for it is this is this is so like anti-psychology, but like let's take a step back from the science, right? Because what we experience in the workplace today is not so science or scientific driven, right? We we are experiencing incredibly hard things in our social and political landscape right now. And I think that the area of IO psychology has such an opportunity to like research in new areas and in different ways. I mean, we just went through a pandemic that no one was expecting and we made this transition to remote work you know, 30 years faster than we thought we were going to. Um, so there's incredible opportunity here for us to understand what's happening around us, how it's influencing and impacting people and giving us tips and knowledge that will help us be better employers, right? Or be better HR professionals or what, you know, whoever's going through the program, whatever they're doing. So I don't know. I don't know if, if that you know, progression in the degree degree will happen as quickly as I would like it to. Um, but it, it definitely has some opportunity, you know, with that being said, I don't regret my degree at all. That's not what I'm saying. I'm a lifelong learner, right? I think there's a lot of benefit to pursuing higher education. Um, but it, it's just not always as applicable as you'd like. I'm glad that you said that it, it's, uh, as a scientist myself, it's very clear to me that applying science to a real life environment is a sticky subject because science is by definition done with controls in an environment where everything is um, defined ahead of time, which is just not mm -hmm. the way the world works. And so applying what we learn in a controlled experimental setting doesn't always make any sense when we get to real life. And so there is that bridge. And it sounds like you're, you're asking the world, Hey, come up with the bridge yeah. instead of focusing on the one side and the other and expecting us to just figure out how to make them connect, um, design that bridge. It's almost the, you know, the applied psychology or the applied IO psychology exactly. that needs to be invented. And maybe, yeah. you can, maybe you can help invent that. Yeah. yeah that's a great yeah. point. Yeah, because I, I, the thing I, I have issue with, or, you know, just when looking at statistics, right, is, is companies tend to take those statistics and that is now the Bible. And so let's say that diversity numbers are 70%. Well, then an organization decides they need to be at 80%. Mm -hmm. But without taking the time to understand and through, I think, the, the collaborative effort that you've all put together at Uploans to understand, well, what's really best for our company? Like, what is the most effective number for our company? Like, who cares mm -hmm. what the standard is? Um, and, and, you know, I think, I think we get stuck just, you know, looking at those statistics and looking at that research and saying, well, we've got to do this 
based on that. And, and I don't know, I, I agree. I think it depends on the application. It depends on your company. Mm-hmm. Each company has their own DNA. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, I, again, that's why I love the approach that you all are taking. Um, so where do you see all this going? Like, what is your kind of future of work um, prediction, you know, that maybe others aren't thinking about? We've touched on a couple things in there. but Yeah, yeah. So I have three predictions. I, I don't know if I'm confident enough to say that no one's thought about these yet, but these are things that I'm thinking about as I continue to strategize on what the future of work looks like for us at Oploans. Um, so my first prediction is around health and hygiene, right? Um, I think companies are going to have to pay attention to this more so than they ever did, even when vaccinations are out there, even when everyone's, you know, if everyone's back to the workforce or has the ability to go back into work. Um, the pandemic, I mean, we just experienced a year of being afraid to be too close to other people, right? Um, and I think, I think that it put an entirely different mindset around health and hygiene and personal space that we're going to have to be flexible with, right? And, and I think everyone, everyone listening right now is probably like, of course, like, of course, we're not going to make people go back into the office or take public transportation if they don't want to. But it's easy to say that now because we're still in the pandemic, you know, what years out, I think it's going to still be important. Like people, this was a really traumatic time for people. Um, and not everyone is going to be able to bounce back as soon as they get vaccinated, if they get vaccinated. Right. Um, so I think companies continuing to lead with that care and compassion, um, and flexibility around people's comfort levels with their health is extremely important. I think that's fascinating just because you know, I'm usually a hugger, right? And yeah. <laughs> but like last six months, eight, nine months, right? I'm like, uh, like there's a twinge, right? There's almost yeah. like this almost unconsciously, like automatically now of, well, maybe I maybe I shouldn't, you know? And yeah. I think that's what's that's what's more like I think to your point, yeah. I mean, companies have to think ahead, think about that, like intentionally and consciously think that even those little types of things are going to happen. Can you imagine mm-hmm. powering through with a cold? At, I was just going to yeah. say that, Nicole. No way. Right? No way. Right? And Body, luckily yep. now, most of us are set up to work from home. So it's not it's not as awkward or feel as uncomfortable. But for sure, like I used to... I used to go to work with the cold. I grew up... My mom told me, unless you're running a fever, you go to school, you go to work. Right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So I think, um, I think that's something that we're going to have to be mindful about and, and more so than even now, just when, when we get back to that back to normal, right. I don't want us to lose that empathy or compassion that we have for one another. Okay. You had two more predictions. Yes. Two more predictions. So my second prediction is my favorite ones. This is around mental health. Um, so 2020 has brought such like a flashlight and um, elevated the importance of acknowledging our mental health, what we need, breaks we need. And if you think about it, right, like 20 years ago, um, people weren't talking about depression, anxiety, workload, needing time off, just just to refresh, right? That was, it was kind of a taboo thing to talk about. And this year, I think, has taught us, again, it's it's taught us to be empathetic and understanding to one another. It's taught us the importance of time off, talking about your experiences, asking for support when needed. 
And it's also blurred the lines between work and life. So it's not like, can you hold on, please? I'm going to go talk to someone in my personal life because I need support right now. It's I'm in a meeting and I'm feeling really bad. And I just need to tell the person I'm meeting with that I'm feeling really bad. And then I, or I need to tell my manager, I need to take an afternoon off. Right. Um, and I love that. I love that we're elevating this and it's not, we're, we're kind of taking that stigma away in the workplace. Um, and so my prediction is that we will never go back <laughs> to not talking about this, right? The, the lines between work and life are, are never going to be like in permanent marker ever again. Um, and I think we're shifting to this place of integrating work and life versus balancing work and life. Um, I actually got that from my manager, so I can't take credit for that wonderful thought, but, um, you know, we're, we're integrating and what that means is if you need to take an hour off at two o'clock, right. To just take a walk with your dog or, or refresh and then come back for your next meeting, then you can do that. Um, but you have to talk about it, right. We can't just do, we can't just like disappear without telling anyone. And so the, the dialogue that has opened up, I think is really amazing. And I, and I think it's moving us in the right direction. And I don't, I don't see that changing. Um, so yeah, that was my, my second prediction. That's like, I love that one. Nicole, I kind of want to talk about the, just the traffic light check-in real quick. Like one thing that we do and that we teach in our trainings for, for to, to get people to start talking about it without getting into the nitty gritty, right? Like there's, there's still, personal lines that people don't necessarily want to cross or share, but you can check in with each other just by using uh, the traffic light um, methodology. Mm -hmm. So it's green is great. You know, like, so we do this at the, at the beginning of stand-up meetings, for example, where the whole team's there, we just go around and give your color. So green is I'm ready to go. I'm feeling great today. Yellow is eh, I'm a little, I'm a little off, you know, maybe I didn't get as good a sleep as I wanted or something. So I'm a little off. I could go to green at some point. And then red is, you know, red is, man, I'm either dealing with something very personal. I've got a migraine. Uh, I didn't sleep at all. I'm depressed, right? There's all these different things that you don't have to share why, but it lets your team know where you're at for that day. Cause we don't come to work the same way every day. And to your point, like finally acknowledging that, but also giving people a way to let their team know, because then what happens is for those people who are red, we've seen other people on the team step in to say, look, we know you still want to contribute today to the team's ultimate goals. How about you take this task and, and I'll take on what you were going to do. Mm -hmm. And so there's still a part of the team. They still feel like they belong, but they're, they're able to accomplish something that, that, you know, in that color they can still do. And so I think, but I love that because I think you're right. It, we have to start talking about it and, and it's hard to, you know, go right into the nitty gritty of it, but there's ways to sort of ease into that where then you just start to naturally build empathy for each other. I love that, UB. I was just taking notes as you were talking. I wanted to do this in my next team meeting. Yeah, um, definitely. You're, you're totally right. We don't show up to work the same way every day and we have to honor our energy levels as well. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think a lot of us will talk about this in terms of having your zoom camera on or off, right? Like if you need to turn it off then turn it off, you know, um, and that's, I think that's hard for people. And it's especially just because we're not connecting in person as much. We want to see each other, but yeah, we have to honor where we're at for that day and be, productive in different ways if needed. Yep. 
Yeah, exactly. Okay, my right, last number three. last prediction, right? This is, uh, I think I said my last, the last one was my favorite one. This is also my favorite one. <laughs> I have a hard <laughs> time distinguishing favorites, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, I think the way we define company culture is changing in a really exciting way. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of mentioned this a little bit earlier with our employee experience uh, strategy, but you know, typically when you think of company culture, you're thinking of holiday parties or swag or what snacks are in the office or, you know, what employee events are like. And I believe that as our workforce continues to grow and become just even more distributed and in different ways, that what makes up our, our culture is going to be more abstract and more meaningful to careers um, than what we have typically defined as culture in the past. And so that's why our employee experience strategy has these three pillars of meaningful work, inspiring leadership, and supportive and equitable culture, because those can be experienced no matter where you're working, right? Um, Now, don't get me wrong. I don't want people listening to this thinking that we're never going to have an employee event again, or that the snacks in the office are going to be taken away or anything like that. Like we're still, we're still going to have that. Um, But we're identifying these three really important pillars as something that can probably be more impactful than those other things, um, but also be experienced more equitably across our company, um, no matter who you are, what team you're on, or, or where you're working. And so I think, I don't think that this is a unique situation to us. I think other companies will start to develop that mindset and shift as well. All right. So I'm going to sum it up. It sounds like the future holds. Mm-hmm. Um, some real honest evaluation of how we handle physical health mm-hmm. at work, how we discuss and handle mental health at work, mm-hmm. and also how we talk about making a good work environment for people who work with us mm-hmm. and in a way that is much deeper than snacks. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes, 100%. And more delicious, maybe. (laughs) Deeply delicious. (laughs) Culturally, yes. I I love that. I think um I think that's huge because I think I think what going back to the people part of this is like talent, people are gonna are demanding it. Mm -hmm. But you know, the, the the people who are essentially helping to grow your company and make your company successful are demanding these things. Mm-hmm. And leaders of organizations, if they don't figure out a way to, to, you know, take their company into that future of work, they may not be around for much longer. Yeah. Yeah. And there's actually a really interesting study that has driven a lot of my work. It was the, it's a 2018 Gallup study on developing employee experience strategies And they found that 63% of working Americans believe they can find a job as good as the one they have now, meaning Uh they can go to another company without taking a significant pay cut or a step down the ladder. So the job isn't enough to hold people, right? And, And like you said, people are expecting to be treated well when they come to work and to have an experience that's meaningful and enjoyable. And so if this isn't prioritized, then they're going to go somewhere else. They may go somewhere else, right? Where, where it is, um, which is why I'm so grateful to be here, you know, and, and in this role, because I, I feel like we're really um, developing this competitive edge before, before we even needed it. Right. And, mm-hmm. and I, 
I hope that other companies are moving in this direction as well, because I think it's, it's so important. And if you, if, if you're kind of behind the curve on that, then you'll be trying to fix a problem versus, you know, be really innovative and in, in getting ahead of that, that curve. I love that. We just all want a better life. And I think that's, yeah. you know, what, what's going to get us there. It's not yeah. anymore just about, well, can I pay my bills? Great. Like, to your point, like we all want a better life. Mm-hmm. And uh, Kelsey, it's been it so great. <laughs> I know, right? Yeah. I'm like, I wish, but yeah, we're getting we there, right? Want, like we're getting there. <laughs> yeah. We just want to be healthy and happy, you know, and, and connected. I think that's what people want right now. Yep, exactly. Well, thank you so much, Kelsey. This was awesome. What a great conversation. I, I hope that the uh, the audience, you know, kind of takes away these notes. I think there's some great practical app- application, you know, strategy in there that people can can really go research and, and figure out if that's going to work for their company. So thank you so much. Yeah, thank you so much for having me, Yubi and Nicole. It was fun to chat. It was. All right. Absolutely. Well, thank you all for, for joining us again. And as always, check out a higher future podcast, all the different streaming sites, and uh, we'll check you next time. Thanks. Bye.